The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi everybody, this is Dr. Ray. You are listening to a least worst of The Doctor Is In. We have no best of, but this is truly one of our least worst. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice, and it doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. They said it would be just like riding a bike. Last week... I forgot how to ride a bike. In the 20 years I've been doing this radio program, I have never been away from the microphone for two weeks. They said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just go right back onto the microphone, and it'll just all come back to you. Okay, this is the... the Andrew, put that up there, which show this is. The, the doctor is in. That's right. That's I remember that now. This is the doctor is in. Am I talking into this? Am I talking into this mic here? Okay, I got it. I got it. Uh, the number for the life of me, I don't remember that number. Uh, it just five. The number's five. All right, type that up there, Andrew. Would you? I think I'm getting. That's his name, Andrew. I think he's my producer man. Eight seven seven five question marks. Oh boy, he's got me laid out. Eight seven seven five seven three seven eight two five. I remembered it. It all came back to me. I was in Italy for two weeks, the home of my ancestry. It was quite an interesting and fascinating journey through the old country, as my grandparents would always call it, the old country. They never went back, never. Papo came here when he was 17, couldn't speak a lick of English. Mamo came here when she was eight. She, I don't think, could speak English either. He had a third-grade education. She had a sixth. Came to America. Settled in Canton, Ohio. So I went back. I was in Italy with Father Leo Paddling Hug. Got to mosey around. Several observations about the Italian psyche. Now, again, these are just horridly generalizing observations. But that's okay. I've got the microphone. I can do that. First of all, the churches are indescribable. So I'm not even going to try to describe them. The sculptors, the painters, the artists of the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries were the rock stars. Those were the people you brought in to raise the beauty toward God. These things, let's say a bad, bad word, these churches, these houses of worship are beyond speculation in their description and in their size. I think Rome alone has 400 of them. You get outside the big cities, which is good. You get outside the big cities with your life in your hands. That's the one thing our guide told us, that in Rome, uh, 
various traffic signals are optional. In Naples, they are nothing but ornaments. And we saw that. You think the drivers around here are bad? Don't even consider it. The villages, and that's what Italy is. Outside the cities, it's nothing but villages on the hilltides and the mountainsides. Many of them are fortified at the top of mountains because they had to protect themselves. Small, tiny little alleyway-looking places that you just walk. Everybody walks. They got small cars. They don't have any. They don't have these big beasts like we do. They got little tiny things. Parking spaces. Oh, I saw one open once the whole two weeks I was there. The other thing I noticed, and I think this was very, very rude about the country of Italy. About the second day there, <clears throat> I noticed that they had a different word for everything. Yeah, I'm talking to them, and they're just looking at me. I think, what do you what? I, I, I got to say something, huh? So that was true. <clears throat> and they eat. Oh, do they eat? Our guide told us that if you are not, and they have thousands and thousands and thousands of these sidewalk cafes, one buffeted up against another, up against another, up against another, they said if you can't cook really, really well, you're out of business. And I saw that. And they give you courses. Like when I go to Golden Corral, I make my own courses. You know, I get four plates, five plates. They bring them to you. They give you the first course, they take it away. They give you the second course, they take it away. They give you the third course, they take it away. The weight problem there is is far less here than in the U.S., I imagine, it's because most people walk. In Naples, which is, uh, Naples had some rough spots to it. But what I found fascinating was, in some of these tenement-looking alleyways of Naples, it's perfectly safe. You wouldn't want to try doing that in New York. Or some of our bigger cities, you're taking your life in your hands. Of course, you are taking your life in your hands in Naples, too, because these little alleyways are about wide enough for one small car. And if you're walking through there, you better get out of the way of that car coming through there. So just some some general observations. Now, one thing I, I'm trying not to take personally here, I was gone for two weeks, a little more, and... <clears throat> I noticed, I was back, I went to a restaurant, and I noticed a lot more children were acting up than when I left. I don't know if that's something that is correlative, it's related, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I would like to see some surveys of people's anxiety or struggles with life since I've been gone for two weeks, I have no idea, just something to speculate. But the other thing is this. I'm going to take a look at how many calls I get today. And after being gone for two weeks, if I don't notice any kind of uptick in the calls, uh, I'm going to be hurt. I'm just definitely going to be hurt. I don't want people to have all kinds of problems, but you figure, gone for two weeks, can't really talk to the folks like I like to, and there's no calls? That'd be really... Really hard not to take that personally. Really hard. So, back with Andrew Kruchek, my producer man, and I didn't remember he was the producer man. I, I wrote it down. I wrote a whole bunch of things down. I called Ave. I called EWTN. After two weeks gone, I said, oh, who's my producer? What's the name of the show? Do you have the number to call? Who's the call screamer? 
Okay, what do I do when these people call? But it's coming back to me. It's coming back quick. One other final thing. This is, this is I'm still not over this one. There's a six-hour difference between where I live in Ohio and Italy. They are six hours ahead of us. So in other words, when we got into Italy on Tuesday at 9 o'clock in the morning, ready for a day of sightseeing, it was 3 a.m. my body time. And that's the way it stayed as we finally got used to the six-hour shift until we got home. I noticed the last two nights I've fallen asleep at 7.30 at night. I'm thinking, I can't stay up past 8? What is going on? Then I realized, my body clock, it was 2 a.m. Now, the real downside of that is, fell asleep at 7.30, woke up at 2 a.m. Wide awake. Why? Well, because my body clock, it was 8 a.m. So right now, talking to you, it's 1.10 Eastern time. It is 7.10 on my body clock. So typically by around 8 o'clock, I'm really not wanting to talk to anybody anymore, but but I'll do what I can here. So I would love you to call. I'd like you to call in. 877-573-7825 is the number to call. 877-57-EQUAL. I did not see Teresa Tamio, but I spoke to her. I did. Now, I didn't know any Italian. I was babysat by my Italian grandmother when I was little. So I do know the cuss words. I do know those. And I could interpret when some of those people shot past me, bumped into me, and I heard the word. And I go, I recognize that word. I know what that word is. Very much like to hear from you. I'm, who am I? This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends. And yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all, but secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them. But remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. He was a pope, a saint, 
and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Pope St. Gregory I the Great is one of only four popes honored as the Great. Among his many achievements was sending missionaries across Northern Europe, especially St. Augustine of Canterbury, who brought Christ to the people of England. In a pun, Pope Gregory called the English people angels. He died in 604. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. You're listening to the least worst of The Doctor Is In with Dr. Ray Garendi. So please, no calls at this time. Real nice to be back with you. Like riding a bike. But I do need some training wheels. This is Dr. Ray Garendi program, Doctor Is In. Live. Getting to talk to you. Before I go any further... On November 15th and 16th, it's a Wednesday and a Thursday, we are taking Living Right with Dr. Ray to Wichita. Yeah, we've been in a bit of a blitz producing the TV shows. We were in Billings, Montana, and before that in Columbus. If you go to DrRayShowWichita.com, you can find out where and how to sign up. We would love to have you in the audience. When I went to the family conference there in Wichita, we signed up a whole bunch of people, so the question will become... Were they just impulsively putting their name down, or will they show up for the audience? I don't know. But Dr. Ray, D.R. Ray Show, Wichita.com. That's where you get the info. You sign up. Well, Patrice likes me. Patrice from Atlanta, Georgia, that big 50,000-watt boomer down there. Hi, Patrice. How are you? Hello, Dr. Ray. How are you? <laughs> well, nothing's gaining on me that I know of. <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to tell you about my daughter who is bipolar and has other mental disorders as well. She has an autistic son, um, you know, my grandson, and she's been letting his hair grow out and, you know, putting it up in a bun, and she lets him wear dresses. Um you know, and I, I've told her, you know, this this is, you know, going to confuse him. And she says, well, I just want him to let him express himself any way, you know, he wants to. And um, so um, years ago when she was a teenager, she had an abortion. And I'm thinking, and she thinks it was a girl. And uh, I'm thinking this is her way, a twisted way of somehow having that daughter through her son. And I have to tell you, anytime I point anything out to her, um, she will do things, you know, despite me. I mean, she'll continue to do it. Well, then you got to point out the exact opposite to her, Patrice. <laughs> did, that, what, did you think that worked? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, here's, what, here's a couple things you're dealing with. One, there's research coming out that among those kids with gender confusion, expressing gender confusion, uh, there is a significant percentage of children who are diagnosed autistic. Wouldn't be totally a surprise, because if they're falling on the autistic spectrum somewhere, there can be some troubles relating personally to people, can be some uh, confusion about uh, navigating life socially, and so as a result, they could be a little more easily influenced by what is going on out there with people their age. Uh, 
you said you think that she may have aborted a little girl and that her son, as she lets him grow his hair out and wear dresses, is a replacement. Is it possible, Patrice, that she's having a lot of regret about that abortion and therefore she will not do anything to limit what her son wants to do well he's only five and Mm. um Mm. so that that really Uh, i think it's going to really confuse him because i suspect so he hasn't asked to wear the dresses she's kind of presented them to him and showed him you know how much fun it is to twirl around Mm -hmm. in a dress and that sort of thing well rather than give her your opinion Ask her to give you hers, for example. Do you think this is what he wants to do? Is this what you want, or is this what he wants? How confused do you think he'll be when he goes to school and he sees boys dressed a certain way and girls dressed a certain way? In other words, what you're doing is, okay, explain to me why you're doing this. She's even sent him to school in a dress. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what kind of um, attention he was getting for that. Ten years ago, know. Patrice, I never, ever would have received any kind of question like this at oh, all. I know. Zero. So there's definitely a huge social component to all of this. You said your daughter has been diagnosed bipolar. Is that your way of saying she doesn't live her life well? Pretty much. I mean, she she does suffer from other mental disorders as well, OCD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and the eating disorder. Here's probably why she doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Because she hears that as you criticizing her. You're saying you're not a good mom. That's what she hears. You you may not be saying any such thing at all. You're trying to help. (laughs) No. But she hears you saying, I'm going to correct your motherhood because you're not doing it very well. So rather than say, I think he's going to get confused, or rather than, if you put a dress on him like this, he's going to get bullied at school. Ask her, what do you think will happen when he goes to school with some other boys? What do you think will happen if he decides, I really feel odd doing this, Mom? So in other words, you tell me what will be the results of what you are doing. That's probably the only way, Patrice, you're going to get through to her. Because she's already convinced you and your religion are not something she wants any part of. You're right. I know. You didn't even say that, but I smelled it. I smelt it. Oh, All righty, my dear. Uh, I know. Your, your advice. Thank hopefully, you so hopefully. Let me, let me give you a bit of hope here. The research is coming out that are saying a lot of these kids who are expressing this kind of uh, gender confusion return to their biological sex. That biology takes over and brings in reality. 
So hopefully your little grandson will say, hey, mom, I don't want to do this. I feel weird. Stop it. I hope so. I hope so, too, dear. God bless you. Thank Thank you you for the call. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, keeping with my observations of Italy, I did not see in Italy the same sort of gender presentations that you see in the U.S. among the young people. In the U.S., you oftentimes see someone that uh, may be male, may be female, hard to know given the way they're dressed, hard to know the way they're conducting themselves. That was not, at least to my observation, in Italy, even in the big cities. I didn't see anywhere near that much. Which would, would make sense because Europe is moving away from the whole gender question and interventions for minorities. I'm sorry, for minors, for minors. Matter of fact, a group of high-level doctors in Europe who wrote to doctors in the U.S., and I don't know exactly the details on that, but basically said, you really need to think about what's going on here, especially among minors, because there are a lot of factors that influence how kids think And the only one is not just that I think I'm trapped in the wrong body. And it fascinates me that all the mental health people, and even the medical professions, who used to recognize the malleability and the ease with which kids are influenced by trends, used to recognize that, have, for so so far anyway, in America as a group, have laid that whole perception aside. All right, let's go to uh, Brenda from North Carolina. Hi, Brenda. Hi. Um, can you hear me? I got you. Hi. Okay. Hi. Well, I was going to call you out on the uh, Italian uh, rock star sculptures because I found that hilarious. Um, you were? Um, Why? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something my kids would come up with. But they, but you know what? They were though. They they were the high profile, highly admired artisans of the day. They they were incredible really? in their abilities, and uh, they were they were sought after by the church, by private supporters. Uh, just one quick thing. I know I'm going to take us all the way to break because I want to give you a little time after the break. There was one. There was one place where we were in a a piazza, a, a, a plaza. And there was a sculptor, and this particular sculpting—it was a—it was a, a, a multi-detailed sculpting of, of of several aspects. One of the other high-profile sculptors essentially said to this sculptor, "Your sculpting stinks. That's ugly, and that's terrible." So he he sculpted an animal with his backside aimed toward this other sculptor's <clears throat> church facade. In reply, the other sculptor, they had multiple statues on top of the church facade, had one of his statues with her hand in front of her face 
as if to say, that's so ugly, I don't even want to look at it. I thought that was fascinating (laughs) how they battled each other. Now that I have completely sidetracked your call, forgive me, uh, here's what I know. You have a 29-year-old autistic son. Uh, The counselor that he is seeing is retiring. And you're saying, what do we do in looking for a new one, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Okay. So he's been on um, medication, his autism. um, Yeah, he had a little OCD stuff going on when he was 16 that got in the way of him functioning. So they started him on some medication. Will you stay there, Brenda? Good counselor. Because that music means, if I remember correctly, that music means I'm going to have to cut off here in about 20, 15 seconds. You stay right there. I'll come back after. 877-57-EQUAL. We're at the close to the bottom of the hour. A lot of time if you want to call in. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. So when you see these different media outlets working directly in conjunction or conclusion with the government to suppress stories, what does that say to us about the reliability or lack thereof of the secular media? And then this is combined with a report that came out, a survey that was done on media executives. They interviewed 75 media leaders around the country, and they're saying we're done with objectivity. Well, that's not exactly a news flash. But the fact that they're claiming that objectivity is just no longer necessary and we are elitists, we know better, and this is what we're going to do, is frightening. And this is one of the reasons that we stress the importance of having outlets such as The Register and EW10 News Nightly and The World Over and Catholic News Agency and EW10 News In-Depth. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. What is Jesus Christ's relationship to the church he founded? According to the Catholic Catechism, whether the head or the members of the church speak, it is Christ who speaks in his role as the head and in his role as the body. As head, Christ calls himself the bridegroom. As body, he calls himself the bride. In the gospel, Jesus says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. This great mystery of conjugal union, where two different persons become one, is applied to Christ and the Church. The Catechism says further, the Church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine said, What the soul is to the human body, the Holy Spirit is to the body of Christ, which is the Church. The Holy Spirit makes the Church the temple of the living God. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Please visit us at our website, www.maltausa.org. The Doctor is in with Dr. Ray Grandy will commence now. We assure you that this randomly selected program is one of Dr. Ray's least worst. I'm trying not to take this personal, but Andrew Kruchek, my producer man, told me that when we ran some of the least worst ofs, we have no best of here over the Doctor is in, but we have least worst of, ran some of those last week and the week before. <laughs> and and we announce it, too. We say, you're listening to a least worst of the Doctor is in. <laughs> they were flooded with calls. 
All right, let me try this then. If I want more calls, uh, you're listening to a least worst of the doctor is in. Now I'm talking to Brenda. Her son is 29 years old. He's been diagnosed autistic, and we I'm going to talk a little bit with Brenda about uh, manifestations of that for him and his development and personality. He's been seeing a counselor, uh, and now they're going to change. Brenda, you still there? I am. Had a girl. So, where your son? Um, he lives with you. I'm going to assume. He does. Okay. If how long has he been with that counselor? Been with him for about seven years. Wow. Um, a good counselor. Yeah, I know. We were Whoa. with another one before we had to move, and now he's been with this one. I would have moved him from this one sooner, but they actually developed a rapport with each other, and you know, with autism, that can be challenging at best. Um, and so we stuck with this guy, but I didn't find him. I, maybe my expectations were too high, and I guess that's what I'm calling is I didn't find him very effective. Um, and I maybe I'm expecting too much, and I don't know what to expect of the next counselor and what to look for in that counselor. What did you expect to see in your son after all this time? I was hoping that maybe they would um, help him develop some more maybe socially appropriate ways to deal with his anxiety. Did you see any any gain um, at all? Um, minor gains, and I, I really don't know how much to attribute to the counselor and how much to attribute to him maturing. And he has made good strides in his maturation. I just, you know, but he still he paces. He when he gets too nervous, he starts muttering to himself. He'll start with all kinds of weird hand motions, which in my house, I don't mind. And I've always tried to explain to him that it's not that I mind or that anybody in our house minds. It's that the way things are out in public, if you start doing that, some person can get shot. <laughs> and people really take offense to people, you know, displaying things that might be construed as um, abnormal behavior, you know, and it makes people nervous. Don't take this so, as therapeutic heresy. I'm just asking it from your perspective. What makes you think that he needs counseling? Well, the doctor that he goes to that he gets the um, anxiety medication from um, will only prescribe him the medication if he's in counseling. I see. Here's one of the things, Brenda, I think you're dealing with. You know that your young man has a lot of wiring, uh, sort of innate uh, habits, developmental issues, correct? So he's, he's got that. Correct. Oh, yeah. And oh, he does, yeah. Those, those tend to be very stubborn, all right? So that, that when he does get anxious, he will show signs of that anxiety that can draw attention when he's out in public, that's for sure. Now... Counseling for that is um, marginally effective. Marginally effective. I would think your best bet would be to get your son with someone that he can relate to. Someone that he feels warm with, acceptable. um, That the quote-unquote therapeutic approach or skill... For example, if the therapist is a cognitive behavioral therapist... 
that might help to the degree that your son can understand it and digest it and absorb it and extrapolate it to his world outside of therapy. On the other hand, if he feels comfortable with a person, it might indirectly lower his anxiety. How important is it for you to have someone who respects your religious worldview? It's very important. And I have to say, you know, he he used to try and identify. He told me he was um, a um, celibate gay, is how he described himself, maybe five years ago. And he's so walked away from that now, and he's turned around and he said, Mom, you know what, I realize now that there's a lot of people that are pushing this stuff at, at autistic people and, you know, taking advantage of the fact that they don't get, get us, you know, or that we don't get them. And so he's totally turned around on that, and he doesn't identify that way anymore. And I'm thrilled that he's, you know, maturing past some of this and, and actually has some insights into, into how... Well, I'll tell you, Brenda, I want to compliment you because that is a fascinating insight for anybody but for your son who has had some intellectual developmental struggles and him concluding this is impressive that he says you know what they're they're confusing me and and i'm i'm not able to digest all of this but i see it coming at me and i see them doing this to those of us who have been diagnosed autistic and we are more easily confused about this He, he said that right right yeah, fascinating. He did. He did. I would think then, given um, what so you've I said, guess. go ahead. No, I was just gonna. No, please, you go ahead. I would I'm think, given ahead. what you've said, that you wouldn't want someone that would reconfuse him to say, right. "Well, you went through a phase like that, but maybe in fact that's who you really are, and what you're doing now is you're burying it." So we need to explore. You know that that may be someone who, in fact could plant that confusion in your son. So I would briefly interview anybody you set him up with and ask them if they respect a serious Catholic worldview. Can they work within it? Uh, And that the, the moral issues are very important, not only to you, but to your son, now, hopefully, they won't they won't immediately retreat from you, Brenda, because they'll say, well, what's this woman doing calling for a 29-year-old male? What is going on here? Uh, hopefully, they'll understand that you've been an integral part of guiding this young man through life. Uh, but I would, I would make sure that you feel really comfortable with the person not coming from a therapeutic approach automatically that says... Well, you know, you had five years of that kind of confusion, and maybe it's possible that, you know, with your parents' religious values, you're really afraid to be who you are. That would make me very nervous. Okay. All righty. So and if, if the therapist doesn't want to talk to you, then you've got your answer. Because anybody who calls me and says, how do you approach this, or can you tell me whether you respect religion, whether you don't, etc., I'll give them. A brief answer. I won't say, well, I'm the therapist, and um, if this is not something you find satisfactory in the way I practice, then, then they're just telling you um, they're not willing to, to, to share. And they should be willing to share because they're therapists. Thanks, Brenda. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call. I'm starting to remember everything from two weeks ago. Everything. I know Eric... 
uh, Dolan's. Is it Dolan? My call screamer, Eric Dolan? Oh, Eric Dumman? I don't know. I'll, I'll get him to spell his name when I come back. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. Here's the new challenge. At least one hour a week in front of the Blessed Sacrament with the goal of an hour a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I had a guy come up to me and he says, Father, you know, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm, I'm in a men's fellowship. I pray with my wife every day. I go to Mass every Sunday and, and usually a couple times during the week. I read Scripture. He goes, I want more. I said, do you pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament? He said, outside of Mass, no. I said, I think that's the more. See, all these saints, these are the ones who surround us. These are the ones who ran before us. These are the ones who fought well, who kept the faith. They would tell you, as would every single saint in heaven right now, you cannot run this race if you don't spend time with the Master. Whatever else we're doing, it's second, third, and fourth. First things need to be first. And the first thing is to be with the Master. And the Master is Jesus. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jangle. In St. Ignatius of Loyola's 14 Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, the fourth rule highlights the characteristics of spiritual desolation. One of those aspects of spiritual desolation is disquiet from various agitations and temptations. Agitating movements of the heart, temptations, and the disquiet are indications a person is experiencing spiritual desolation. Father Timothy Gallagher writes, Here Ignatius pinpoints a further trait of spiritual desolation. Within the heaviness of the desolation, the person experiences a restless flow of agitating movements mixed with temptations that disquiet the person. If you have experienced this aspect of spiritual desolation, identifying it, understanding that it comes from the enemy, and rejecting it will hasten the return of interior peace. For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. You are listening to a least worst of The Doctor Is In. We have no best of. The important thing to remember is that I'm probably going to forget. Tonight I'm going to a dinner. A uh, very supportive person of the Catholic faith is bringing in Mel Gibson tonight. And I... Have already set it up. And there's Donna. She has never asked me to sing with her. I, you know what I think? I think she's threatened. I really think she's with. she's got the voice of an angel. And I think the woman, no matter how subtle I am in saying, you know, you need a male back up here. Somebody on the beach, you know, behind you dancing like this. But no, no, no. However, I've already set it up. Dinner with Mel Gibson tonight. Harold Ziegler, dear friend and supporter of all of us, bringing him in. And I've got somebody going to come up and say, Dr. A, would you stand next to that guy? And then when I do, they're going to say, oh, Dr. A, this is a wonderful picture. Who's the guy with you? And I'll say, oh, that's Mark. Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Geeson. I don't know who the dude is. But anyway, he's here, and he found out I was going to be there. That's all. So hi, Harold. Hi, Donna. Oh, how you just... You just look delightful there. Yeah? You got to get out more. Yeah, delightful? It's not the word you were thinking of, huh? 
In, it'll, it'll, okay, I, well, I'm, I'm having that trouble, too, with a lot of words coming to me, for sure. Uh, Joe Condit is uh, a friend of mine. I know Joe very well. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you on the break here because i got to take care of these folks here in just a second. Dave called and he said, how do you deal with depression? Dave, it depends upon what kind of depression. You hear a lot of these commercials that say depression is an illness. That's not necessarily true. Most depression is what you would call the old term exogenous. Life depression. People are struggling, dealing with the factors in their lives. They're struggling with their self-image. The way they think is affecting who they are. Now, interestingly enough... The standard approach to depression is medication. Unfortunately, the success of medication is not real good. It doesn't work all that well above placebo. If you've ever seen somebody that's biochemically depressed, it's, I don't want to say it's frightening, but it'll shake you up. Because sometimes they are so depressed that they almost are semi-movable. You can see it. And one of the things that shrinks look for in a depression like that is they look for a precipitating event. Is there a reason? Something in this person's life, something in their psyche, something in the way they think, something in their history that says this emotional reaction can be connected to that. If you don't find that, if this is someone, let's say this is a 37-year-old mom. she got three kids. And life seems to be going pretty good, and then she can't get out of bed. Or she's losing all zest to take care of those kids. And this is antithetical to her personality. Then you start asking questions. Is there a biochemical issue going on here? We don't know exactly how those biochemicals work. We can't go into somebody's brain and go, there it is, it's right there. Unless, in those few cases, there is a lesion that you can identify, a tumor, something, a stroke. But much of the time, when somebody is biochemically depressed, you, you, can't, you can't find it. We, we don't have the sophisticated technology to go into the trillions of connections in the brain and go, Oh, look, see those six over there? Those are the six that are doing it. We don't have that. So depression is truly this very broad word. Fortunately, most depressions can respond to somebody teaching someone how to think differently. Example, let's say that EWTN says to me, Ray, you're never going to ever sing with Donna. You're not going to sing with Donna because you stink. And she's already come to us, and she said, do not let him in any way near me at all. Now, I suppose I could interpret that and be very distressed, very upset. On the other hand, if I look at this and say, well, one, she may be right. Okay. Two, even if she's not right, it's her show. She can do what she wants. I'm altering the way that I think. Let me let me give you a classic example. Donna's listening to this right now, so I'm trying to show off. Let me show you the power of your thinking to create your emotions. You're at a three-sided bus stop. Now, Donna, they have those where you're at, right? These three-sided bus stops. Very crowded. It's 
40 degrees, sleeting rain, blowing sideways into this three-sided bus stop. Everybody's crowding toward the back. It's an uncomfortable, everybody's in everybody's space. It's a very unsettling experience. You feel somebody jabbing the back of your leg. And it hurts. You're thinking, what, what, what is this? Somebody's idea of fun? It feels like the point of an umbrella. They're jabbing my leg. Now, this is making me very angry. Now, if I stop the tape right there and I say, okay, why are you so angry? Well, I'll tell you why I'm so angry. Because some jamoke behind me thinks this is fun to jab my leg. Okay, a couple more minutes of this go by. Your rage is increasing. You finally turn around, ready to let the person have it, and you see an elderly blind woman with a cane. And she's trying to use the cane to keep her balance in that crush of bodies. What happens to your anger? Do you think to yourself, oh, you're, you're lucky you're an old woman, or I'll tell you what, I'd let you have it. No, your anger goes away in, in a split second, it's gone. Why? You told me you were angry because you were getting poked. No, you were angry because of what you were telling yourself about being poked. As soon as you turned around and saw reality, the, the anger dissipated instantly. Your perception changed. So your emotion changed. And that's much of what depression is. The perception of life, of people, of yourself. And that creates an awful lot of downward pressure on emotions. I'm Dr. A. 877-57-EQUAL is the number. I'll be back, I think. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This strange beatitude reminds us that Jesus is challenging us with his ways to heaven on a new exodus. We're leaving behind the Egypt of this world to find the eternal paradise of heaven. When we tend to think of happiness, we tend to think of it in a self-centered way, a possession of a temporary good or passing fancy. But Jesus is calling us into eternal happiness. And actually, morality is a search for happiness, says Dominican priest surveys pink hairs. We're looking to be happy, and a lot of times we end up at dead-end roads that don't lead us to where we want to go. How can we be blessed when we mourn? In sorrow and difficulty, hardship and cross, we are called closer to Jesus. It's God's fingerprint in our heart reminding us that we're made for eternal happiness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. 
You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. You're listening to the least worst of The Doctor Is In with Dr. Ray Garendi. So please, no calls at this time. I have found that the years between 50 and 70 are the hardest. You're always being asked to do things, and yet you're not old enough to turn them down. Notice that? Maureen just called from North Dakota. Bye, guys. See you tonight. She is having withdrawals for two weeks because I was gone. I love when Aunt Maureen calls. She's just the nicest lady. Thanks, Maureen. Uh, must have to listen to the rerun episodes over 1,000 times. Linda from Columbus. Her kids got older while I was gone, and uh, now she's she's panicking. She's panicking. Hi, Linda. Hi, Dr. Ray. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I just I had a quick question. I, I'm a first-time parent. Um, I've got a little 15-month-old boy, um, and I'm probably just taking life too serious, but I didn't know what's the best form of discipline. Um, is it too early to start? Um, what you recommend? Um, I don't know. Just, just the basics, I guess, for a little boy. Okay, uh, 15 months, right? Yes. Okay, let's uh, let's do a couple things. Uh, have him write an essay uh, when he is uh, throwing a tantrum. <laughs> now, he doesn't have to write cursive. He can print. He's, he's only 15 months, so he can print. You could do that. Um, how about chores? Get him some chores. Maybe, oh, weed to flower beds, something like that. Now, if you don't like those, Linda, I remember when my oldest son was 15 months old. And I sat him on the steps for the first time. He looked at me and said, in so many words, on his face, what are you doing? What is this? So, is he old enough to get this? Probably. Probably. uh, But it will just be training. In other words, let's say that he Mm -hmm. melts down and you put him on the steps. He can't connect the idea that, oh, I see, if I throw a fit, I'm going to go sit on these steps. No, there'll be repetition there. And after a while, he may cut back on the fits because he doesn't want to sit on the steps. That's all he knows. It's not a moral thing. He's not going to say, well, you know, throwing a fit is not a good way to express my emotions. I need to develop some reciprocal strategies. No, he just doesn't want to sit in the steps. Now, in one of my books, I talk about the three S's. For kids your son's age. Sidetrack, supervise, and stop. You can sidetrack a 15-month-old pretty easy. You got to supervise him because you know he's going to roam around and he'll just be into everything. You know that. Everything you own is going to be six feet off the ground. You know that. Yep. You got to have a moat, a moat put around some of your more valuable stuff. And then stop. In other words, there's time. Let's say he's gone over to something. He he grabs the uh, somehow he gets a hold of your remote, and he's threatening to throw it. Stop him. Take the remote. Grab it. Put it up some somewhere. You don't have to punish him for that. But for example, let's say he takes a swat at you. Now, he doesn't know taking a swat at mom is bad. He doesn't know that. He just knows that I was upset, so I swung. Okay. Sometimes you can put him in a high chair and just buckle him in. That's why you don't have to worry about chasing him if he jumps off the steps. You can do that. But I would say 
at least between 18 months and two years, you're in the realm of using some kind of break in the action, a timeout, something like that for that little guy. Now, here's, Linda, here's what parents say, and if you've, if you've read any child development stuff, you're going to get all confused. So go get my book. You won't get confused. They say, well, he doesn't understand. He doesn't really know why he's not supposed to swing at his mother. He doesn't get it. Linda, do you have a dog? Yes. Okay. Is that dog house trained? Yes. Did you wait until your dog understood that he shouldn't pee in your house before you trained him not to pee in your house? Nope. That's right. You trained him. Now he doesn't because he knows because of your training, you go out there, you don't go in here. The same thing with your little guy. He's a lot smarter than a dog. Well, maybe not Lassie or Rin Tin Tin, but he's a lot smarter than a dog. So when you do this kind of connection, you throw some kind of fit or you fling something or mom puts you on the steps, you're kind of training him really is all you're doing. You're not really, okay. yeah, you're not really infusing him with any kind of moral understanding. He doesn't have that mm-hmm. capability yet. <laughs> I know some people 42 that don't have that kind of capability. But <laughs> the thing I would tell you this, my dear, this is probably the best piece of advice I can give you. Do not, do not agonize over whether you could be doing something wrong or whether you're going to mess him up for when he's 18 or whether you're handling this psychologically correctly. Your mom, this is a relationship. You have good instincts. This is not rocket science. Parents raised children for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before we shrinks came along. So for the most part... Do not make this an exercise in psychological correctness. Just enjoy that little guy, and when he does something wrong and you decide, you know what, I think he's old enough to be put in a high chair and strapped in. Okay, that's your decision. You made the decision. Your mom. Thank you, Doctor. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for answering my question. You're welcome. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Yep. I I get these young ladies in their 20s. Paying attention to what I say. I couldn't even get young ladies in their 20s paying attention to what I say when I was in college. And I was in my 20s. I'd say, hey, I got something to say. And then they'd say, Ray, please be quiet. I'm with Biff. I'm talking to Biff. So it's wonderful to be back. Nice to be back in the U.S. of A. Italy's a beautiful place. It's an old country. It truly is old. There's a lot of old stuff in Italy. I fit right in. I fit right in. Our oldest stuff would be some of the newest stuff in Italy. The beautiful countryside, the villages, these these picturesque little villages with these little tiny... I can only imagine what they look like at Christmas time. Only imagine. I so very much appreciate the chance to be back with you tomorrow. Good Lord permitting, I will be in Birmingham, the radio conference. So I will be broadcasting from the studios of EWGN. And thank you, Andrew Kruczek and Eric Dumont. And thank you for your company. Walk with God. He walks everywhere, you know. Italy, USA, Cosmos. 
For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.